Hey everyone, this is Christy, Soul Magazine's assistant editor, and welcome to In the Spray Room, our podcast where we talk to some of the best and brightest artists working on the streets today. For our daily online content, check us out on soulmagny.com, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at soulmag. And In the Spray Room can now be found on all major podcast platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and through Amazon Alexa. Today's crew consists of myself, Bike Girl, Hello. And Brooklyn's own, Big Ronnie. Hey there. Before we introduce today's very special guest, Big Ronnie, tell us what's going on. Well, what's going on is podcasting, Christy. And I'm going to run down a list for everybody so they know where it can get in the spray room, what you're listening to, in addition from our website. Apple, Google, Spotify, Luminary, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pocket Casts, CastBox, iHeartRadio, Blueberry, Radio Public, and Amazon Alexa. We are everywhere. Nobody's telling us they can't find us anymore because we are on every device that you have. Search Sold Media. Search In the Spray Room. Give us a follow. Give us a listen. Thank you very much. Now on to today's guest. He sat in recently with little Ricky, Audrey. Yes, he did. And now we're giving Dusty Rebel a full-length interview. Yes, we are. Exciting times we live in. Isn't it, though? It is. I'm excited. It's magic. You were working on some fun projects, dude. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Now, Christy, I see Christy reviewing her notes immediately. (laughs) She's like, I didn't prepare for this. I I have no notes or no questions. She's like Barbara Walters. I'm going to cry. She's she's prepared. Barbara Walters without that that filter. (laughs) <laughs> Barbara Wawa. Yeah, without the soft light. Yeah, the without the soft light. light. That's why it's a I podcast. I don't need it yet. We don't need it yet, right? We're, we're Italian. We don't... Uh, it's true. Yeah, we don't crack, right? So, Dusty, let's, let's, tell, <laughs> let's tell your superhero origin story for the listeners. Who are you? Where'd you come from? Uh, so, I grew up in the suburbs of New York City. Uh, my family were from Brooklyn and Queens. And I was the first born out in Long Island and immediately fled back. Um, in fact, I think I was actually telling Ricky the other day that I, we used to get my hands on village voices and like circle apartments that I thought I could afford at like 14. Um, <laughs> I but, understand. Yeah. Long Island is one of those places. <laughs> I, yeah, it was a very conservative, bad place. Um, still, and I used to sneak into the city since I was probably like 13. I mean, even before that, I used to stay with my uncle who lived on Bleecker street. So I was always in New York city back in like the late eighties, early nineties and, you know, sneaking into the city Basic. It's funny because my path off the train then is still like my path today. It's like I would go down into the village, Washington Square Park. You'd hit all the record stores, you know, get your imports. But like the world I was drawn to is the world that I still document. So like I, I often talk about how seeing Mosaic Man's work in the East Village was like the first time I saw this like renegade public art and just being like, how did this happen? Who did this? Um, so. It was very uh, influential on, you know, basically who, what I do, so, which is a photographer for those who don't know who I am. <laughs> now, your, your work takes you everywhere these days, and uh, you have definitely drawn the ire of, and jealousy of some of our contributors with how is he there, how is he here, where is he getting these, these opportunities and these shots to fly around the world? How do you do it? Oh, well... You don't sound like a rich kid. No, I'm not a rich kid at all. Uh, I wish I was. Like, I, I really wish I was a trust fund kid because I would be so good at it. Um, 
Uh, yeah, so, you know, photography for me was something I started doing, uh, you know, as a... I always wanted to figure out what I wanted to do artistically and I had a, a, an intense passion to create, but it wasn't until digital photography that I could really explore different, uh, really to explore photography in a real way. When I talked to kids today and I explained to them it's because photography was expensive because we didn't have digital cameras back then. Oh, so yeah. taking film, you, the concept of running around just shooting film would, it just was not something you could do. Well, and then you had to turn your film over to someone else because there's no way you could if you, unless you worked in black and white, yeah, well, I you had, couldn't really develop your own color, and that's part of the art of photography. Although in high school we did have a dark room, so I yeah. did. I was trained in, in. Although I usually was just screwing, like literally screwing in the dark room. But um, <laughs> hey, that light's on. You can't come in. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, um, but your question is about money. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, you know, my work, what, now I'm traveling because I'm making a film. And what happened was, is for many years I worked in uh, a job, a nonprofit job, uh, which obviously, as my great aunt always says, that means no money. Um, and, but I put away, I kept putting away money knowing that I had this concept of a project I wanted to work on. The, the, the film I'm making, uh, which started as a book originally, was I wanted to do a book about queer-specific street art. And that... The, the origin of that particular project started in 2013. So I've had quite a uh, heads up for preparing for it. Uh, so I put away a certain amount of money to uh, privately of my own to, to jumpstart myself. And then I left my job and I'm a, I actually do make a living as a freelance photographer. So I basically pour in all my money into doing this until I can get uh, some funding. Mm -hmm. So if anyone has money and wants to give it to me, <laughs> you know how to find me. Um, but yeah, so it's basically rather than going on vacation, my vacation is I go to somewhere and I'm, I can make a dollar holler. I am really good. <laughs> you, can, you can spread a nickel, huh? I can. I am really good at, like, if you actually looked at my books, it's insane that I've done, like, what, almost a dozen cities in seven countries and the amount of money so I've done So maybe you need to make that part of your thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm just really, I mean, doing it. I'm really good at it. You could end up on Travel Channel or something. <laughs> How good? Give everything. us an example. There you go. Give us one example. I've just always been very good at finding. Like, well, first of all, if you if when you're locked, when you have a real like a, a real real job where you have two weeks or they can only you have to whatever all that, those limitations screw up the ability to really search all the algorithms to find the cheapest flight. But if you have the ability to just go when you want. If you find a super cheap flight, you can go. I mean, mo you know, uh, post nine eleven, there were super cheap flights to Europe. I used to go to London for like a hundred dollars round yeah. trip. I mm. mean, so yeah. I, yeah, now that's a different time period. But now, you know, you just search for the best flights and then you try to just make everything else work fall together. So it's still expensive, but, you know, I'm doing everything myself, too. It's not like I have to, like, fly a whole crew with me. I'm literally, I mean, people who've been out with me see I've got, like, cameras hanging off me. I'm doing video that I'm switching to photos because I'm making the book and the film at the same time. So it's it's insane. If you insane. could afford a crew, would you? Or you oh, yeah. Yeah, you would hand off? You know I mean, how to delegate, too? yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah. All right. I love right. bossing people around. He might want some interns. Chris, Christy's waving her hand. <laughs> so um, you recently went to L.A. Uh, I was wondering if you ever uh, got closer to understanding why it's become this hub for queer street art. You know, I think that it's just... I don't know if it's L.A. in particular. I think a lot of artists are moving to L.A. And I think that... Um, there's just there just happens to be a lot in there. I mm -hmm. really think it's happenstance. I think it's just a good city for getting up. 
Um, I think people who live in New York forget that other cities actually have really vibrant and sometimes, quite frankly, better street mm-hmm. art scenes. Um, when you spend time in Paris or Barcelona mm-hmm. or any of these other cities, it's so much more diverse mm-hmm. and prolific. It isn't just like that one hot spot that people hit. Right. New York has like these like spots and then it's all that people are really putting their work up in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in New York, muralism has completely eaten street art. So like people don't even see the difference that they're two different Mm-hmm. I try to, while they all get th- uh, filed under street art, muralism is a different thing. No one would call Diego Rivera a street artist. So, like, muralism is a is a kind of a separate entity. Uh, I think that's important to kind of keep in your head. Okay. And while you were in L.A., uh, any specific artists that you want to highlight that you documented there? Well, I was... Spe- Aside from Little Ricky, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was specifically <laughs> there for... Uh, documenting queer street artists. And that was the city that I had the most artists to uh, interview and record Mm -hmm. any city I've gone to. So, and it was the first time in the past I've actually, uh, Europe, I traveled with a cinematographer who basically shot it for travel. Um, So he came with me and I paid for all the travel for the month. So in Europe, you went to Rome and Copenhagen? Uh, Europe was London, Copenhagen, Rome, and Paris. Okay. Uh, And also went down to Pompeii. Um, for LA was the first time I was doing everything myself. So I was doing all the recording, interviewing, setting up, scheduling everybody. And I had five or six artists. I had, um, Jeremy Novi, Diva Dog, Little Ricky, David Puck. Uh, Homo Wright wasn't there, but he, he he wasn't there at the time, Mm -hmm. but he is one of the LA artists. And was there some, Oh, Horn Dog. Oh yeah. The graffiti artist. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was insane. So around the world, what do you think is the best city for queer street art? Is there one certain place where it's pretty much taken off more than anywhere else in the world? I don't know if I could categorize it that way, but I think each city's different. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't see that much in New York, to be honest. What I find more interesting is the, the way people behave in different cities. So to give an example would be... Uh, Copenhagen, Denmark, right? So you have, this is not, unlike LA or New York, particularly New York, which is on on crack, these are media hubs. There's armies of Instagram accounts taking photos of stuff. So New York street artists, muralists are performing, they're often performing for social media, whereas in a place like Copenhagen, they're not performing for social media because you're not, your work that you put on the street isn't going to necessarily ever show up on a Instagram. It's not going to necessarily show up and no one's going to write about it. I mean, they're going to write about, it, but it's very different. You're right. not, there's not a ton of, it's not overly saturated. It's not saturated wise. with media. So the, so for example, a place like Copenhagen, it's more graph based. It's going to be more like old New York and that people are doing graffiti. Mm. It's letter based. They're hitting trains. It's about how much you get your name up and how much and the, the places you get it. So, the artist I was documenting there, Edith's, what's interesting about him is, one, he's doing openly gay graffiti. It's character-based, not word-based, and he's still hitting trains. So we did break in, well, we possibly may have broken into a train yard <laughs> and painted a train. Um, possibly. That's a potential thing that could have happened. Might <laughs> um, have happened. Crime. But, but that, to me is, so, so that to me is really interesting. One of the things I really am curious with the artist is, what their intentions are when they're making it. Are they like, are they, and sometimes it's just something you observe, but that's, so for me in cities, most cities outside of really heavy media hubs, like in LA or New York, the artists are not, they're not, they're not performing for social media Mm -hmm. in the same way. And that's a very, that's a very huge change that you saw since 
I mean, you've been shooting long enough, mm-hmm. but I think you definitely noticed that shift after 2013 when, oh, yeah. when Banksy came and overnight everyone's Instagram accounts went from selfies and the pictures of their lunch to being like street art documentarians. <laughs> no, I remember like old school Worcester Collective. And so, you know, you could, Chelsea you could walk and explore. You walked and explore. Chelsea was insane. Yeah. So there's been a big shift here in New York. And so for me, it's not necessarily what's better. I'm, I'm very curious in the, the cultures that exist in each, in each city. So, like, how do you think Instagram has affected people's art? Like, they're too worried about how it's going to look once they put it on there, and that's what's, like, sort of influencing how well, I mean, they Im- create their, their art? A lot of conversations I have with artists, not necessarily the queer artists, but, yeah, they, they intentionally put work up because they know if they put it's in Freeman Alley, it's going to yeah. get shot. Mm-hmm. So they're putting it in hot spots. But that one of the things I explore or I've, I've been interested in exploring while making the film is – are artists self-censoring themselves? Are artists uh, a real problem for queer artists, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're street artists or queer artists in general, is social media censorship. So you can't even put your work up. Mm-hmm. And so so you have the social media platforms censoring your existence and mm-hmm. your art. Um, and then maybe people not photographing it because the gatekeepers maybe don't want to photograph it because... Um, it's too controversial. They're afraid to lose. I mean, most followers are I lose because I also shoot, you know, protests and other things. If I shoot, when I was shooting like the Black Lives Matter protest, I was mm-hmm. bleeding followers like mm. mad. Yeah. So it's like, I don't care. Racist. Goodbye. Every year mm-hmm. at Pride, when I shoot queer events, I lose followers. Hmm. That's fine with me. Goodbye. Yeah. Um, so what gets me is that they think that you're anything that they, what I don't understand is when you do lose followers like that, do they just really not? know you do they not have 10 <laughs> seconds to to look back and see that your work is so diverse since the time you've been shooting i mean that's sort of when no, i know because he, he likes his picture of a fluffy teddy bear mural or something like that i don't shoot those way. yeah I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's again sesame street that's the you know, that's the good edge between the good thing sesame street gave us and then this attention span that doesn't allow us to actually oh yeah I mean, oh, yeah, I, totally. always, I always knew when I Two started, snippets. I always knew when I started the Dusty Rebel that it was going to be a strange thing because I don't document one thing. And I knew, hey, I don't know. But also backing up, I didn't create the Dusty Rebel, the website or any of that because I ever thought anyone in the world outside of myself was paying attention to it. Originally, I used to post my photos privately on my Facebook page and then people would want to share them. Uh, particularly when I was documenting the Occupy Wall Street movement and things like that. And so I thought, oh, I should make, or like, and then Gothamus and whatnot used to always post my photos. And they're like, oh, you have a website. So I thought, oh, I probably should make one of those. Literally never thought anyone would pay attention to it other than my like, friends who wanted to share it. And then it just like kind of blew up in its own way. And I thought, oh, is there supposed to be like a real clear idea of what I should? And I was like, you know what? I, I do my work. And if you're on the, for the ride, then you're on for the ride. And I think most people who follow me know what they're going to get. And they, they, it's my world. It's what mm-hmm. you're going to see. And that's, I document people who use the public sphere in, in creative ways. And whether they're buskers or protesters, it's a public voice. Um, and that's what I've always was drawn to. So... But yeah, I think people, you know, they get on because maybe I'm shooting a lot of graffiti or whatever, and then they're like, "What? What is all but these drag the queens?" Next month, you're shooting people <laughs> with pigeons. Oh yeah, that's my favorite. That always freaks people out. <laughs> Do you lose followers when you post? The oh, pigeon I don't. Ca- yeah, I, you know what? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> oh, Paul the Bird Man. Yeah. yeah, that's one of my longest running. I've been doing that series for over a decade. Yeah. 
He, I mean, he, you're documenting him because he's a part of New York. He's been out there doing that. Yeah, can, I mean, Paul. Can you tell like a little bit about the story about him? Paul the Birdman? Yeah. So, Paul, I um, the first time I saw Paul was actually coming back from a, a, a boozy brunch with my mother for Mother's Day. <laughs> and my parents were probably the drunkest people in the park. No, I'm just kidding. They were, they had, we had a, we had a few drinks and we were having a good time. And Shiny. We, yeah, we were feeling it. And we were uh, walking by Paul and I was just like, wow. <laughs> Uh, that was like well over 10 years ago and I took a photo of him and I just kind of became fascinated with him and so I would go and visit him all the time and I started shooting him and then I started shooting all the people and what I find really interesting uh, so Paul grew up in Greenwich Village he had a business uh, he lost his business and he decided like why he's, the way he says it is basically why fight it and he just hangs out in the park as a bird man and he's very very zen about it he basically is he just hangs out with his birds he's been doing it for like almost 15 years and he's awesome. And what I love about, and then the other major bird band would be Larry. And Larry is much more of a um, showman. So he calls the birds down. It's a much more different kind of thing that goes on with Larry. But what's fascinating about them, or a lot of other people I document, is they're people that are engaging in what would be probably considered like an antisocial behavior. But here in New York City, it allows that antisocial behavior actually creates a bridge back to society. And that's what I find really fascinating about people who are doing. So you could even say that about perhaps street artists or graffiti writers. It's this behavior that's considered antisocial, yet it creates community and brings them back into a community. And that's a really fascinating thing that I observe with a lot of the different people I, I shoot. So, yeah, I love the bird people. And I've become a bird person. Who's now. the other guy in, uh, in Washington Square Park with the puppet, with got that blonde guy, but he's got a puppet with his own hair that he <laughs> okay, cut Okay, so the those are done by uh ricky styers so ricky makes marionette people uh really really lifelike marionettes of various personalities from washington square park mostly from washington square park so he's done doris he's done paul he's done larry he's done colin who plays the piano um he hasn't done me <laughs> ricky yeah uh, yeah but he does actually yeah. uses their own hair and they're like they're like he everything is down to like the shoes, it's crazy. It's amazing. He's an, he's an incredibly gifted marionette artist. Really gifted. Yeah, no, Washington Square Park is basically my office and has been for like the last So do you find it years. fascinating, the interaction? Because the other thing I'm, I don't think a lot of people really reckon, realize is that Washington Square Park is also really the commons for NYU. It so is. You've got, like, and there's a lot of dead bodies there. It's the, a magical place in New York. So what I love is like when you get the kids coming in every year on the tour. Mm-hmm. And they're like sparkling and their parents are walking around the park and seeing the various bird men. And they're like, I'm sending my kid here. Yeah. I mean, Washington <laughs> Square Park is one of those really magical spaces in New York City. It was a, a pauper's grave. There's still bodies there. I think there's just there of all the parks in New York. It's my favorite. It's the park that is just there's a community there that's just so vibrant. I just I I could spend all day there. I love it. And I do. If you're looking for me, I'm probably there. <laughs> Yeah. So let's talk about some of the projects that you you worked on previously that might not be running now or in between seasons or whatever, uh, like uh, the ad takeover projects, please. Yeah. So I got involved. Ad takeovers are one of my favorite uh, forms of street art currently uh, because there's one. 
street art has lost a lot of its subversive edge and I really love the subversive nature of, of ad takeovers. I love the fact that it's reclaiming public space. It's reclaiming space that you're bombarded with advertising, but at the same time, no one really looks at them. Like, that's the funny thing. I can have an, an ad takeover running for three months and like no one. It's not I like I'm getting. I kind of love that people just walk by and they don't notice and then someone will. And yeah. It's just like. But also it's like, <laughs> you know, I can have ones running for three months. It's not like I'm constantly getting tagged or po- people for posting on Facebook. They're, people or Instagram, they're kind of ignored because no one pays attention to them. Um, so for me, um, I got involved with it in 2016 with um, first I contributed to Resistance is Female, which got started after the election, which was an artist collective putting uh, feminist-based ad takeovers up. So I did one of those, and that inspired me to do a spinoff that summer in 2016 called Resistance is Queer. Um, and I brought that back this summer. So the concept with that is that it featured photographs of mine, usually taken of uh, queer activists, and I wanted to put people in the street that were important to queer liberation, but also the idea of putting some person who would never or very rarely see themselves in that space has been kind of magical so to have for example like um right now we're looking at a picture of sister Lottie da so sister Lottie da is a, a queer activist and she's a this is taken at the drag march uh, during the invocation uh before we we march and i love love her and one of my favorite moments was was sister Lottie da doing a little insta story where she discovered it and as he's walking up to just like the giggling and the laughing of just like, holy shit, I'm on Broadway in an ad. Like, and I've had that. People write me whether they're, they find it or I've done ones that had like more uh, uh, transcentric and having strangers write me and just be like, I found this and I've never seen that kind of representation in this spot. Like it, was, it startled me and I, and I love it. So that was sort of why I started doing them because uh, I just love that idea of putting people marginalized people in in the public like that i think they're one of my favorites too just because of the fact that they are so subversive they really are i mean that's still that's really the last of true subversive art in the city yeah and they're fun and i think i've even heard that the um the the company i don't know if it's titan or one of them uh there's a rumor that they actually do like it because it brings attention to their you phone booths. I wonder if some of them are collecting them. Like I've heard the, that. The, I have the, a little inside information for this. I used to work for Intersection, which uh, bought Titan. They're them now. It, they're, in, they're owned by Google. So it's a, it's and they not only uh, appreciate it, but there's a gallery in the office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I did not get to see it. Yeah. But it exists. And some, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, some disappear right away. And then some, I mean, the one I did by the Stonewall 2016, that lasted for like three months. And I think, I mean, Sister Lottie Dahl was still up a, a couple of weeks ago. And that's I been, think it probably has to do with the run. Like yeah. once the guys put them in, if they're not due back for three months to a new well, ad run, unless somebody complains. The ones that disappear usually happen the next day. And my assumption is that they just happen to be on the cycle of the ad was getting switched out the next right, day. Right, right. Sometimes they last. I don't know if they want them to last and they leave them or I don't know. Well, yeah. and the ones I've seen that last sometimes aren't necessarily in the most trafficked places. Um, uh, one of Abe Lincoln's lasted on the corner of Essex and Delancey. There was a dog that said, don't be an asshole. <laughs> and it was there for almost six months. Yep. And it was so random, but it was down at the end almost. like, snow. And there, there was snow. There's construction going on everywhere around it, so it's not smart for them to do the ads there anyway because that cuts down on any foot traffic that would see it. Right. 
So. Was this the one by the Stonewall with the Harvey Milk quote? Yeah. So that was that was also taken at the Drag March, and I put that one up by the Stonewall. Uh, this year we put it up there again, but it didn't last very long, um, that particular one. Do you like to think that it's hanging on someone's wall somewhere? I would love that it's hanging on someone. I mean, yeah, I'd rather it there than in a trash bin. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would love... Of course, you always want work to live as long as possible. Topic change. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Let's talk about music. Uh-oh. I want to know what you listen to. I want to know what you want to listen to and don't get a chance to. What's your favorite stuff? Uh, well, I'm really into music. I listen to a lot of music. Um, everything from... Huggy Bear, which is a queer core band from the 90s. I'm wearing a t-shirt right now with that. Um, yeah, I listen to everything from like punk to uh, my running is definitely Beyonce. Uh, Beyonce is my playlist for my run. Uh, you find a good ass and just chase it with some Beyonce playing. That is my secret. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I have a really diverse, diverse, uh, but I love, like, love music. My iPod, in fact, the only reason I buy one of the really large iPod, I guess they're iPhones now, the only reason I buy the really big one is because I need to carry my entire collection. I don't stream. I own my music. It's, it's my music and my playlist. Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, pretty much uh, modern pop I'm not so into for the most part except for Janelle Monet, Beyonce, um, and, you know, a few others. But, um yeah, but I love like old pop. I love uh, foreign language. My one of my favorite things to collect is uh, girl group music, but particularly foreign language. So like Yee Girls or any of the Spanish um, girl groups from like the '60s. I'm really into that stuff. Hmm. Yeah, that's a first. So old school <laughs> pop like ABBA. Um, going back a little further, more like um, oh, like the Shangri Las. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's an excellent box set called. um, What is that one called? Uh, It's Lost Girl Group Music. That's like really rare. It's fucking amazing. And I can't remember the name of the album right now. It'll come to me in a second. But it has rare ones like um, uh, Tony. um, uh, There's like a weird Dolly Parton one. I mean, there's like really random, random girl group music. It's really good because, you know, there's a lot of like like sometimes there are like the bad girls and I really like them. So what don't you like music wise? What do you avoid? What do you change? I hate. Oh, my God. Uh, Modern country is horrible. (laughs) Old school country is where it's at. I love. Whoa. How old school? Like Johnny Cash. I'm talking like Hank Williams. No, no, I'm talking. Patsy Cline. No, no. I like the dirty ones. I like old Dolly Parton's. I want I want like I want you to be talking about being pregnant. (laughs) Loretta Lynn. I want Dolly Parton talking about her mother running off with her boyfriend. Tammy Wynette. Yeah. Dolly Lee Hazelwood is one of my favorites in the world. Uh, he's like the psychedelic cowboy who ran off to uh, Sweden, but also he was who like good girls would go to to get dirtied up. So George he wrote Jones. these boots are made for walking. So like Nancy Sinatra, yeah, uh, those types would like record with him because he was like would write some fun like bad girl songs. Yeah, hmm. mm-hmm. very cool. Can I bring it back to the art world now? <laughs> Fine. <laughs> I would like to know about. Uh, a couple of months ago, the Second Avenue mural at Steve Stoppard's, how that all got involved. And there Ooh, was two, we? there were two versions, right? That you were, you curated. Can we ask him first how he met Steve? Sure. Oh, Steve. Okay. This is actually funny. Steve is the first person who stopped me on the street and knew who I was from like my photos. And it was really <laughs> bizarre because I was taking a photo. This is probably like 2011 or something. 
and he was like riding his bike like in a circle around me and he's like hey are you dusty rebel and i was like what the but did he see you in one he of your just photos? Had he just or he did. He's so cute, and he basically <laughs> had been trying to. He knew that I was like taking the same path because, like, he, we, I, my path is around his path, and our, my, my work was by his work. And I think he had been looking for me, but he was also like gets up like four o'clock in the morning, and mm-hmm. uh, so he was the first person that. Like, and I was like, oh my god, someone knows who I am. This is weird. <laughs> I didn't even know like artists would start writing to me and be like, hey, thanks for. And I was like, well, that's weird because like this is pre really Instagram mm-hmm. Flickr days Flickr I had a site I was on Tumblr I was in the Flickr world but like yeah so the fact that like when I started the site I was OCD about my metadata and stuff so like I come up in search engines somebody rec- actually I just didn't know anybody was paying attention to me <laughs> or let alone were like trying to figure out who I was and that apparently there was a group of people trying to figure out who I was so that was so anyway so Steve uh, found me uh, and he was very cute and I was like that was weird and He's become one of my, like, he probably has more of my photos than I even have of myself, like, I own. And uh, I'm very proud to say that one of my photos is hanging on the wall next to one of your photos. Really? Which is an honor. Oh, wow. That's and cool. In Steve's house, which is, which is not wall really to a house. Wall. It's like a, it's it's like a gallery. It's, a, it's amazing. It's, yeah, it's wall to wall. There's not one single square inch that doesn't have art on it. So a year ago... So one of the things that comes up a lot in the film that we explore is the lack of... Now, most of the... I would say a vast majority of the artists that I'm documenting are street artists, not muralists. The only muralist... I mean, there's some that do murals, like Kashink will do murals, but she still does illegal street art or self-commissioned street art. Um, David Puck is probably the only muralist that I'm working with because um, I intentionally wanted street artists. But also, queer-identifying street artists generally don't get murals. So one of the things I was kind of curious about was the lack of queer... One of the things you, you find is the lack of overtly queer murals or that have a, a queer um, expression, with the exception of, like, maybe it was in Australia when, there was, when they were trying to get marriage equality and a bunch of, like, marriage equality murals went up, which were vandalized, a lot of them. So when I... Last year, I, I approached Steve and I said, hey, I have this idea for Pride. I think it'd be really cool to bring together two of the artists that helped inspire me start this project and I'd love to see them collaborate together and like do like a legal mural because they never do these things. So I wanted to bring Homo Riot and Suryani together because they're so different in their styles and they're people I've been, I've known for years and been working with. So that was where the concept came from was to do a, a mural dedicated to queer liberation for the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall uprising. So there was a first version with Homo Riot and Suryani and then Steve said I could have it for another month, and um, I really wanted to then bring in Jilly Ballistic and have her do something with Homer Riot. And so then they did one. So the whole theme kind of played with queer liberation. You, know, you have images of Martha, P- Marsha P. Johnson, and then the Jilly's version says "Be the Brick." So you know whether the whatever the mythology is of Stonewall, I love that we kind of ended with the concept of like being vigilant. Um, and to continue to assert. We love Jilly. And that was another, um, the, the brick image was a wheat paste done by another. Jeremy Novi. Novi, yes. Mm-hmm. Do you think that. Brick. Really, I got that feeling. Of, that brick of, is still hanging being, in. Uh, the pride brick is still yeah, hanging. Yeah, we did that outside the Stonewall. Freeman. Oh, yeah, too. we did one right outside yep. the Stonewall. Do you think that yeah. Jilly is maybe one of the most important uh, queer voices on the street art scene right now in New York? She's one of the there's not a lot of queer street artists here in New York. That's why I travel. There's, mm. I mean, Jilly, whose work is 
not always necessarily queer, but she has that element or she sometimes plays with the the winks, the nods, and mm-hmm. you see it. Um, but otherwise, you know, there was there was Blue Dog, but he's partly in Portland mm-hmm. and sometimes here. There's there's shockingly little. Do here. you think that there might be still some that aren't out? Fully? Oh, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Course. Yeah, but especially in but, the gra- in the graffiti side of things, where it's more masculine, more. Yeah, but that for for me that w- I wasn't really necessarily interested in that. I mean, I, although when I started the project, it was like high school trying to figure out who you could have sex with. Like, are they? <laughs> you know, like because like you, Cause you don't want to just go up and well, say, no, but, but I had to build the database. From, right. From, if you go back to the history of 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 any kind of street art or graffiti in New York, it's more it's more graffiti heavy. It's more masculine. Well. It's, Without giving not without giving to out too accepting. much of my oh. of my research, okay. <laughs> um, there actually is a rich history of queer street art, and the origins. A lot of the the, the pioneers of street art were queer, mm-hmm. um, beyond Keith Haring, mm-hmm. and so there's a long tradition of queer people using the street uh, for for political mm-hmm. and for for just artistic expression. Well, yeah, anyone who who wanted to be heard, they were sort of oppressed in one way or another or marginalized in one way or another. And and the history's been forgotten. The history's been forgotten because one, history's often uh it's straight washed. I mean, look at look at the even the Keith Haring representation in like Beyond the Streets or most of the time, you don't see the gay stuff. Mm. It's like the non- it's just like a little blip. Well, it's just like Jeremy Novi t- has talked about it. When he's asked to be in a show, like, oh, yeah, we're doing a show for Pride. We really like your koi. What does the koi have to do with Pride? So it's this, not a real representation. The hiding of it, and then who writes your history? Hmm. So if there's not enough queer people writing and photographing street art or writing about the history, hmm. then you're going to forget it. Also, the plague took out a lot of our artists. That's so what I was about to say. One we of lost a whole generation of these we artists. we don't talk about is that, what, in less than 10 years, we lost 100,000 people in the city to AIDS? And it went, the deepest cut was through the artistic community. I mean, that's why Broadway sucked for the last 20 years. Amen. Reality. Yeah, it was a, it was a, we lost it was a huge everyone deal. that really counted for a while there. And the most, one of the most effective use of street art for, for political purposes were done by queer people. Act Up and Grand Fury is one of the most effective political campaigns that was an artistic campaign. And you know those images of silent equals death or the, that images are, everyone knows those, whether, no matter what you were. We remember, I mean, if you grew up in that time period, you knew those images. That was an effective use of visual artistic language as street art that had a political purpose. Um, so I would argue that some of the most effective use of street art has been by queer people. Has there ever been a collection or a book or, or something on this topic before? No. In fact, when I started, there was like nothing written. There's hardly anything written about it. So that was one of the reasons when I started to do the research, I was like, well, first I was like, I don't even know if there are. Is there enough to do something here? So I was talking to Homer Riot and I was talking to Suryani. This is back, you know, uh, almost seven years ago. And I was like, yeah, this idea, I really want to do this. And then I said, you know, why don't you start sending me like names? Like it was a word of mouth thing. And then it was me searching literally the internet, trying to find people to figure out what was out there. Because there was, with the exception of this show that Jeremy Novi put together years ago, uh, there, if that show did not exist, a queer street art that he, he's a, he collects queer, there'd be nothing, there was nothing on the internet. So it's kind of crazy that there's nothing so out there. So I guess there. that must make you feel like you have a major responsibility to get this right. Uh, huge <laughs> you know i mean it's it's a it's a the once it started and you're collecting if someone's giving you their stories 
you feel a very intense burden to make sure you represent them correctly and mm-hmm. and that you find what's the interesting thing happening. And it's, look, I'm going to do this film. No one's, it's not like, how many other people are going to do it after me? You know, if it's, so it's important because it may be the only time that this is really encapsulated. Well, there's only one wild style. Yeah. I mean, so it's a, and I knew this project would be insanely ambitious. I mean, who makes a feature-length documentary on no budget that's globetrotting? I mean, it's completely insane. So, <laughs> Well, see, that, though, means you can get a lot of book deals and things because now your story about making it also becomes an important part of it. Because of the way you did it, you've set up that I'm curious. I would be just as interested to read about how you managed to pull this off as to see the well, film. And also what's becoming part of the story is the community built in its wake. And that's been really fascinating because it, it's, I don't have, if I had a million dollars and I could have done it in one year or whatever, fine. It's a slow process. But to watch artists learn about each other and then become friends, start collaborating, or, I mean, the fact that, like, queer street art on Instagram has collected a lot of these artists and they find each other. Some of them, like, Edith's in Copenhagen, he's like, I knew I couldn't be the only gay graffiti writer, but I had no idea that there was anybody else out there. So... They don't even know about each other. So them discovering each other has been something that's been kind of amazing to watch happen, too. So you're building a community. I, I think you're building a reality series. This sounds like part matchmaker, part <laughs> part, <laughs> part bachelor, part scavenger. I mean, well, I haven't, I haven't heard of anybody to... <laughs> hooking up yet, but... Yeah, I mean, you keep... <laughs> I think, time. Yeah, you know, Logo is always looking for new content. Keep, uh, keep traveling around the globe, globe thriftfully. Logo. I mean... Uh, yeah, we'll see. No. Has anything kind of stuck out and surprised you uh, while documenting any of these queer street artists? Um, As to maybe why they're doing it or how they do it? Or... Yeah, I, I, I think... Um, I think what I said earlier was mm-hmm. I was really surprised at how much they have really thought about what they're doing mm-hmm. and how open everyone has been. Even when I got to Rome with Aloha, I discovered that he didn't speak English the way I thought he, we had been talking through. We've been chatting with each mm-hmm. other and either it was getting translated or he just can, you know, I can, I can read Spanish pretty well, but I, you know, when right. I have to talk, I sound like a five-year-old. <laughs> so, um, so when I got in the car with Aloha and realized that he, he didn't speak English fluently. And mm-hmm. then we basically had to speak in a broken Italian, Spanish gay. Um, <laughs> and it worked. So that's with flair. Well, we were just like, Oh, I don't know. It was prayer. It just <laughs> happened. Cause I was like, I've come here to Rome and I need to this artist to like me and like be able to like communicate. I need to know what he's saying. And, and it was the first day he'd ever driven. So he was in a, we were in a little Fiat. <laughs> he had just gotten rid of his moped. And he's like, I just, and, and he's Rome like, is, I and mean, he's, and he's like screaming at me like my father. One of the scariest places in the world yeah, to be in like, a car. He's like, ah, shut up. Uh, basta, basta. Screaming the whole time. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm in so much trouble. Like, <laughs> I don't know if we're going to talk, but we, we got on and we figured out how to communicate with each other. That was his first day driving. His first time. Yeah, he had just bought the car. <laughs> and we were like, oh, a, no. we were in a tiny tin can driving like on the sidewalk in Rome. It was just, I was just and like. Rome, like I said, is one of the scariest cities in the world to be in a car anyway. Yes. They, totally. It's the scariest. They're insane. Yeah. There's, it's, it's very scary. <laughs> well, Dusty, snap a finger and we hit 40 minutes already wow. that is that is double the Oops. attention span of, yeah, of sorry, everybody. our average no. listener or so but uh no this was a great chat we appreciate it we uh are excited to hear more about the project and see it develop 
Uh, but why don't you please give our listeners uh, your Instagram handle, the website, and where they can Yeah, you can you. find me on Instagram at Dusty Rebel. Uh, there's also the Queer Street Art Instagram account. Uh, and then you can find me on pretty much every social media platform for the Dusty Rebel. Or you go to the site, DustyRebel.com, and find everything. There it is. Thank you very much. Appreciate you coming out to Bay Ridge. Yep. And we are sold out with Dusty Rebel. <laughs>